starting this evening um, based on the Parsha, which is Parshat Korach. And Korach is the infamous Parsha that deals with the concept of machloket, of, uh, of debate and dispute, where Korach uh, sought to um, divide B'nai Yisrael and to make uh, their lives, uh, to make Moshe in particular, um, challenge his leadership as well as to challenge the leadership of Aaron. So um, this becomes now a, a point of departure to deal with the question of what we call machloket, um, dispute or machloket. It's stronger than, a, than just an argument. Machloket usually has certain connotations of, um, of passionate principle disputes, as opposed to people, you wouldn't have a machloket over, you know, that they, you, you asked for an aisle seat and they gave you a window. But you would have a machloket about the things that uh, you, you're very passionate about. So it comes up in the parsha, and this is uh, the um, oh, I didn't quote the first verse. Oh, apologies, but uh, quotes. So it, at the beginning of the parsha, it says that uh, Korach and these other characters, Datam and Aviram, came to challenge Moshe, and Moshe initially engages with. So this is a Talmudic statement, and it says, And Moshe got up and went to try to speak to the people who were challenging him, Datam Aviram, and they, they said, no, they didn't want to have anything to do with that with Moshe. It says, Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish said, So it says that from here we learn that Moshe was prepared to pursue Datam Aviram in order to make peace between them. We learn from here that one should not machzik, should not hold on to a machloket, a dispute. Dama Rav, because Rav said, used to say, anyone who holds on to a, a dispute transgresses a negative precept of So this is a passage that comes up in this Pasha, that you should not be like Korach and his um, Assembly, you should not be like it. So it's very clear from here that there's this idea that to be machzik in a machloket, to hold on to a dispute is something that we need to avoid at all costs. Now, not only do we have to avoid being part of a machloket, you know, to, to just hold on to it, um, it definitely goes what we'd say, or the more so to start a machloket. So here we have Moshe, who was sort of minding his own business, and there was this uh, attempt to usurp the power by Datan of Viram and Korach and the 250 guys that joined their band. But nevertheless, Moshe desperately tried to end it. So it means that even if someone picks the fight with you, there's an ideal that you shouldn't continue it. You should try, you should make amends. But if you were a person who's machzik, if you hold on and you pursue a dispute, so you transgress a negative precept, quoting this, uh, you shouldn't be like Korach and his chevra. So what I want to deal with tonight is uh, this is much easier said than done. But the reality is, is we all um, have disputes with other people. And what often becomes the, the, the big challenging, uh, the big challenge is at which point does a dispute be something worthy of pursuing? And when does one have to let things go? It's not always so easy to let things go. But nevertheless, sometimes if you don't, you don't fight, you don't get what you, you know, you don't get what you want. And sometimes, you know, if we look at, um, I'm not trying to draw comparisons, but, uh, protests like we're seeing going on around the world for Black Lives Matter. So whether you agree with it or disagree with it, the reality is, is that form of outrage is often the things that gets things changed. 
the reality is, is that you need a bit of anger. There's, there's no social justice that wasn't started with people saying we are not prepared to tolerate the injustice at the moment, whatever the injustice was. And the only way of social justice is people to get angry and to upset a lot of other people. If the whole idea has been you know, to maintain peace at all costs, then I think we'd all agree that nothing would ever develop. So there would still be slaves because you don't want to upset slavery. So, we, you, know, we, you know, ending slavery in America at least created a civil war. So if peace is most so important, so let's not have a civil war. No, sometimes there are ideals that you have to have disputes about. So it becomes a question of, you know, where do we draw the line? When is it? So I wanted to take us through three different approaches to how we understand <coughs> this uh, negative precept of that one should not uh, uh, hold on to this concept of dispute. So the first is uh, the Rambam, Maimonides and the Sefer Mitzvot. So the Sefer Mitzvot was a book written where the Rambam counts out the 613 mitzvot. There are, there's no uh, consensus on what the 613 mitzvot are. You all talk about them as if they are you know, set in stone, excuse the, the pun. But um, they're not, is that uh, everyone disagrees exactly what constitutes those uh, 613. But the most well-known and let's say the most well-accepted is that of Maimonides. And in negative precept 45, he quotes the mitzvah of what's called Lo Tit Gorodu. This comes in, in the book of Dvarim. And Lo Tit Gorodu uh, literally means uh, one should not cut oneself. So it says, I'll read the English here. <clears throat> says that there's a category of this law is the prohibition against splitting opinions of towns. So, let me give it back, and I didn't, I didn't put the entire quote to the Rambam. So, Lord Tit Godadu is literally brought in the context of that people would cut themselves as a sign of mourning. And it was a very pagan custom. So, the Torah says, Lord Tit Godadu, you should not cut yourself. But the word Tit Godadu is understood through Midrashic um, understanding to mean something a little bit different. And that's what the uh, Rambam quotes over here. He says that in this category of this law is the prohibition against splitting opinions of a town in their customs. They said, lo tit gododu means don't make agudot. So the word tit goded and agudot sound the same, and aguda is a, is a group. So it says, lo tit gododu, don't make agudot, don't make groups. That's what uh, the, the, the Medrash comes to say. So even though the main meaning, as we explained, it means don't make a gash for the dead, what it's also, there's another midrashic idea that comes out, which is that we should not make groups. So where, how does this practice halachically uh, manifest? It shouldn't be that half the people in shul are, uh, are doing one form of practice. And so let's just say at a certain prayer, half the shul stands, half the shul sits. On, uh, on uh, some, uh, some days of the year, on Cholomot Pesa, half the shul puts on tefillin, the other half doesn't put on tefillin, and so on and so forth. So this idea is Lord Tit Godadu. That's clear that's not what the Torah means. But there's a certain another ideal that can be extrapolated from that, which is a Torah ideal, even though it's not an explicit prohibition. So if we say like two people on shul, one's wearing tefillin, one's wearing not, and they've now seen you've got the two groups, you've got the one side and the other side. So someone says, oh, Lord Tit Godadu, is that a Torah prohibition? Or let me be more specific, is that one of the 613 mitzvot? The answer is no, according to the Rambam. It is not a prohibition. However, it is definitely an ethos that is uh, that we are against this concept of, uh, of dividing up the community. So it carries on. 
He says, so too, says the Talmud, the one who holds a legal dispute violates a negative, <coughs> negative commandment. Like it says, do not be like Korach and his congregation, which is also like an interpretation of the text of the body. The text is meant to scare. And according to what the sages said, meaning as follows, that when the Torah comes and says, you should not be like Korach and his congregation and his community, what it's coming to say is not that it is a Torah prohibition to have a machloket. However, there is a Torah ideal of not having a machloket. So this is something that it's, uh, let's, let's talk about it like in, in contemporary terms. So the, there's, there's, a, there's a law, there's a letter of the law, and there's a spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is, for example, we've had JobKeeper lately. So what's the purpose of JobKeeper? So the economy is in trouble. Businesses are really struggling. And in order to ensure that people have um, what to eat and can afford to pay their bills, the government has created this, uh, this subsidy called JobKeeper. Now, let's just say you are a very wealthy individual and you are, you are fine or your particular business is, uh, is not suffering in the same way. Or as is definitely the case, you're a casual worker who earns, uh, you're earning more under JobKeeper than you would ever earn uh, if you're working like you normally do. So legally, you're entitled to that money. But there's an ethos that you sort of like, you're taking advantage of the spirit of the law. So you could say, well, is it legal? If it's legal, it's permissible. But there's definitely, we see throughout uh, all law, a concept of what a spirit of the law is. And that is what the Rambam comes and says for this idea of a machloket. Technically speaking, if someone has a dispute with someone else, is it a Torah prohibition? Hard to say that it's a Torah prohibition. It's not mentioned explicitly in the Torah. But there's definitely an ethos that would say that this is something that we should avoid and we should not have a part of. That is the Rambam's understanding about this concept of the mother. The second is, uh, is what we call the smak. And he says that another smak um, wants to suggest that, yes, it is exactly a prohibition. So he says as follows, I couldn't find an English for this and I didn't have time to translate it, so my apologies. He says, Shalom. So when the Torah comes and says you should not be like Korach and his community, it's not saying that Korach, it wasn't that Korach was, an, was arguing about everything and that Korach is the prototype of all forms of dispute. Korach had a very specific argument. He was challenging Aaron that was the Kohen Gadol or the Kohanim. He was challenging much of the leadership. So you should not be like Korach and his uh, cronies means you should never challenge the kuhuna. You should never challenge people who are koanim. So that's what it means. So it is a Torah prohibition, but if I were to somehow challenge the concept of koanim, I want to be a kohen, and I think it's ridiculous that this guy's a kohen and I'm not a kohen, that would be lokish. She should not be like kohen, like, like Korach and his adator. That's where the prohibition comes. So from here, we see that it doesn't help us at all with regards to my disputes. So me having a, an argument with you, might not be an ethical thing, might not be so right, but it's, uh, you say in the Torah. So when the Rambam comes and says, there's a Torah ideal that we are, com that we are conflicted with, the smack comes and says, no, there's, there's no Torah whatsoever. It might be a general principle that we try to avoid, but it is not a prohibition um, in any sense. The third point, and this is the one I'd like to focus on for the rest of this year, is that that is brought down by the Shi'ultat de Rav Haigaon. 
this is a very early work of I go on talking uh, you know 9th 10th century excuse me century and he says as far as he wrote a commentary that was would be it was a commentary on the weekly parasha but would would talk about all the mitzvot and he said that there is a prohibition but what's the prohibition so he says as follows there's definitely a torah prohibition there's a definitely a prohibition of having a machloket but you know what the problem is the problem isn't the machloket. The problem is what happens to the people in the machloket. So I say black, you say white. The, the, the machloket isn't the problem. The question is, how do I feel about you? When you say black, when I say black, and you say white. He says, that's the problem. He said, when people are divided, they start hating each other. And we've got a Torah prohibition against hating your fellow man, against hating your brother. So that's where the prohibition comes. The prohibition isn't arguing. If you can argue in a way that does not lead to hatred, so then it's fantastic. But if you're arguing a way that is bringing absolute hatred, you know, to your fellow man, so then we got a we got a serious uh, issue. That's how we. So sorry, this is uh, how we have to do it now. So, so this is where the the problem comes is that we have that the, the prohibition of hating your fellow man is where machloket becomes a problem. Now, this might be quite, quite familiar because there's a famous uh, Mishnah in Pirkei Avot that says, Every dispute that is for the sake of heaven, in the end, you know, its end will continue. It, uh, the, the end, the conclusion of it will, will last. But one that is not l'shem shemayim, that is not for the sake of heaven. So the sake of heaven, the best I think is sincere. Now, what we would call, I'm uh, um, arguing the principle. It says, so one that is a principled argument will endure. One that is not a principled argument will not endure. So what's the argument that is principled? So they say that's Hilo and Shammai. And what is a non-principled argument? It says that is Korach and his congregation. So we see Korach and his congregation. These are people who were self-serving at their own uh, motives and nefarious uh, motivations. And these were individuals who they got to, you got to stay away from. But if you look at the difference, so Hillel and Shammai. So Hillel and Shammai, we know Hillel, I imagine, much better than we know Shammai. But these were two individuals that were great leaders um, at the time of the Second Temple. We on the, um, <coughs> just post-Second Temple, we, have, uh, we used to do like Hillel. In the Pesach side, we eat the Hillel sandwich. Now, the Talmud, the Gemara in Masechah Yevamot, comes and says as follows. So although Beit Hilo and Beit Shammah, even though houses of Hilo and Shammah disagreed with regard to rival wives and sisters, which has got to do with marriages. Can you marry? Um, it, it's got to do with uh, marriage. Marrying that according to Beit Hilo would be permissible. According to Beit Shammah, it would prohibit it, that these would be considered incestuous relationships and regarded the bills of divorce and we've got uncertain married women and discreet, that they disagreed on some of the most fundamental issues with regards to marriage. Meaning that according to Hillel's opinion, that he went, Shama would say, Hillel, you're marrying, you're marrying, you believe that it's permissible to marry certain women, that I believe 
descendants of those would be mamzerim. They would be bastards. They would be illegitimate. They would be uh, you. The, everything you're doing, you're making an absolute sacrilege of uh, of relig of the religion by doing that. But even though Beit Shammai did not refrain from marrying the women from Beit Hillel, nor did Beit Hillel refrain from marrying women from Beit Shammai. This serves to teach that they practice affection and camaraderie between them, where they stay in love, truth. That the reason that Hillel and Shammai's machloket was so sincere and the Shaim Shammai was because these were individuals who were prepared to argue the point and not argue the person. And this is where, where I think becomes the issue of machloket. Every time we have an argument with people or whoever, is we are convinced that our motives are sincere and that we are doing this out of a principled stand. And therefore, we always like to put ourselves in the category that we are what, what the Mishnah says, we are L'Shem Shemaim. The problem with that is, how does anybody know their sincerity? Um, there's a, a great quote from the Kotzka Rebbe, which I'm going to paraphrase. The way he said it was, better a righteous man who, sorry, better a wicked man who knows he's wicked than a righteous man who knows he's righteous. So I'd like to paraphrase that to say it slightly differently. Never trust a person who tells you that their motives are sincere. The person who questions his own motives or her own motives, that is a person who's worthy of trusting. Because we are always going to be convinced that you're doing things for the right motives, that we are pure. Most of us don't go into a dispute thinking that we are wrong. We're going because we believe we are right. But that's where the, that's where the greatness here comes, is that if you go into assuming that I think I'm right, but I might be wrong. And that allows it to be L'Shem Shemayim. Because now, because I, I at least entertain the possibility that I might be wrong, it allows me to look at your position, even though I think it's probably wrong, that there might be a certain level of legitimacy associated with it. And what it does is it is able to, to, um, to, to uh, I don't know if the word's dissect, but to be able to separate between you, the individual, who I deeply am affectionate and love, and the idea that you are espousing that I believe is deeply flawed and wrong and possibly even evil. But I do not associate the two as the one and the same. To be able to separate between the belief and the individual. And I think that's, that becomes the real distinguishing point. Where as soon as we feel anim animus towards the person that we're arguing with, we've lost because we have moved away from the Hila and Shammai model into the Korach and his Hebra model. So when it comes down to like, if we look at contemporaries, that is there ever a thing to fight for? Yes, there are things to fight for. But if you are hating the people you are fighting, then you are not the right person to be fighting that particular war. You're standing down. You should never have animus. To quote, as we said in the, the shield, so is that the problem with Machloket is that it teaches you to hate people. And that's why you've got to avoid at all costs. You can only enter into a debate when you're willing to enter it under conditions that you do not feel any form of animosity towards the other person. So that is, um, so that that is the, uh, I suppose, the, the short version of um, the shir this evening. So unfortunately, the shir, we're going to have to find a, a time to reschedule the shir because now with Shul's thank God going back. We have, uh, we have Mariv at 7.30, which always puts me under a little bit of pressure. So trying to make that I can open up. Um, so I'm not sure if this is going to move to 8 o'clock, possibly from next week. But this evening in...
just under 40 minutes time, we'll be hosting BT Deutsch, who is, um, she is the uh, marathon, ultra-Orthodox marathon runner coming all the way from Eretz Israel, zooming all the way from Eretz Israel, and she'll be telling us her inspirational story of, um, of going from uh, in the last four years to becoming Israeli champion and hopefully on her way to Tokyo, assuming that will happen at some point in the not too distant future. But uh, thank you, thank you for joining us, everybody. So it is a bit shorter this evening, but I hope you can join us uh, tomorrow, later, and all the best. Later.